will soon be upon us, and lots of us are looking forward to that. Uh, all indications are that our Tennessee Vols are going to be better this year. Boy, I sure hope so, don't you? Uh, we, need, we need a good season. We've had several bad ones in a row. And so it'll be nice if we can, in fact, have a better football season. But you know what you dread as a football fan and your favorite team, whatever team that might be? we got some Arkansas fans here this morning. And so it could be Arkansas or Tennessee or any other. But what you dread is that your, your team does really good, you know, against maybe a ranked opponent. You know, they, they get out there, they play hard, they win. Uh, against a really good team. They, they, they do the job and they win the game. But then the next week they're up against some terribly underranked underdog and they end up losing to the team that they were supposed to beat so soundly. That's what you really dread as a fan, right? But of course that happens. Every year that happens. Every week during the football season there will be those upsets where a good team was beat by one that wasn't supposed to be so good. Well, we want to talk about a Bible story that is along that line this morning. We want to talk about Joshua, the great battle of Jericho, but what we especially want to talk about is what happened after the battle of Jericho. And we're going to try to draw some lessons there in just a minute. Before we get further into that, let's stop and say thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, we're so grateful that you're here, and we are encouraged by the fact that you've come uh, we draw strength from you. I hope you know that, that, that we depend on you for the spiritual strength that you can provide for us by virtue of our relationship together and our joining together in the service of God. Thank you for being here today. As we said, we have visitors today. We're glad that you come. Come back whenever you can. As always, ask any questions you have, and we'll try to answer those from the Scriptures. I want to talk about what happened concerning uh, Joshua, the Battle of Jericho, but especially what happened thereafter. Here's a, here's a little map of the area. And we know that the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan River, camped at a place called Gilgal, and from there they attacked the city of Jericho. Now, Jericho was a, 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 a great, mighty, fortified city. Uh, it had a, 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 a massive wall built around the city, well fortified, Cities in the promised land like Jericho were the ones that caused the ten spies to say, well, it's a, it's a wonderful land, but we can never take it. Uh, I mean, the cities, they've got great walls and they're fortified and the people are, are giants and, and, and we, we'll never be able to take the land. Remember, that had happened approximately 40 years earlier and God punished the children of Israel with wandering in the wilderness because they didn't have the faith to go in. But now under Joshua's leadership, they go in and they go to Jericho. And in a quite amazing way, God delivered that city to them. And so they defeated Jericho. That was one of the ones that looked like they might not win, just from, from a human perspective. But with God's help, they easily defeated the city of Jericho. But then, of course, uh, what happened uh, after that is what we want to build our lesson on. They, they left Jericho. By the way, uh, we have mentioned before that a number of recent archaeological discoveries have tended to verify that that story of the Battle of Jericho is a true one and that it actually happened. This is not folklore or mythology. This is, these were real historical events. The Battle of Jericho really happened. But afterwards, uh, in the, the, they, they left Jericho and went to fight against the small, unfortified town of Ai. And of course, there, 
they were defeated in the reading that Monty just read for us. Let's look at that again. In Joshua chapter 7, beginning verse 2, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. So there went up thither of the people about three thousand men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote them, about thirty-six men, for they chased them from before the gate even to Shebarim, and smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Uh, that's what I was saying. You, you beat the team that maybe would be hard to beat and end up losing to the big underdog the next time you go out to fight. And that's exactly what the children of Israel did. Well, what happened anyway? What would cause that turn of events? You know the story. When they went up against Jericho, uh, God made a specific instruction, a prohibition against them taking any personal spoils from the city. Jericho shall be accursed, it says in Joshua 6, beginning verse 17, even it and all that are therein. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed things, lest ye make yourselves accursed when you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Now, this was unusual instruction, right? As we've pointed out many times before, typically when people went to war, they went to war for the purpose of gaining spoils. You defeat the city, you take the people as, as, as captives, you take their valuables as your possession. Taking spoil from, the, from, from a defeated city was really what it was all about. But in this case, God said specifically, don't do that. Don't take any spoil from the city of Jericho. Well, it says in verse 7 of chap, uh, chapter 7, verse 1, rather, in chapter 7, verse 1, it said, but the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. What was the accursed thing? Spoil from Jericho, right? Don't take any, but they did. For Achan took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. There was this man named Achan, and he did what they were specifically told not to do, and he took some spoil from the city. And in chapter 7, verse 11, it says, Israel has sinned. They have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have taken the accursed thing. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies. The Lord explained that the reason why uh, they weren't able to go against that small town of Ai, why they couldn't win the battle they were supposed to easily win, the reason why is because they took of that accursed thing. And that's why they couldn't stand before their enemies. Well... The result of it was that there was a thorough investigation made. All the people were brought before uh, Joshua, and it was revealed that it was this man Achan who had done the thing. And in chapter 7, verse 24, Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold, and his sons and daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had, and they brought them into the valley of Achor, and Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And so Achan and all of his family were killed for the trespass that they had committed. Well, what will we say about all that? It's an interesting story, I think, but it's more than a story. As we said, it's certainly history. It's real history. These events actually transpired. But I want to suggest to you that we can draw some lessons from that that are applicable to us. We're not fighting physical battles today. 
We're not going out with sword and spear to conquer cities, but we are in a spiritual warfare. And I think there are some spiritual parallels. And we can dispel, I think, some very commonly held myths just by thinking of this simple story of Achan and his sin. One of the spiritual myths that I think is refuted by the case of Achan is the idea that just one sin won't hurt. Just one sin won't hurt. You know, we have to battle that notion. Just one is not a big deal. We have to battle that all the time. We have to battle that in physical matters. For any, probably almost all of you and I who have made efforts to diet or lose weight, you know, we have this idea, well... I'm trying to lose weight, and I'm really trying to watch what I eat. But there's one cookie won't hurt, will it? Just one cookie? Would just one cookie be a problem? Well, yes. One cookie, of course, is a violation of the diet itself. But also, one cookie, I don't know about, if you're like me, one cookie leads to another, right? It's hard to stop with just one cookie. And so, sin is like that, you know. And the idea that just one doesn't matter, well, one sin is a violation, And unfortunately, one sin often leads to many others. In James chapter 2, verse 10, the author says, Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. In God's estimation, all sins uh, have the same consequence. They, They separate us from Him. We're alienated from our God because of sin. One sin is as bad as any other. And one sin committed has the consequence of alienation from God. One sin, just one does matter. You know, the Bible is full of stories of people who really just sinned once. But look what happened. For instance, we could talk about Eve in the Garden of Eden. Uh, We don't know how long things went along in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve doing just as they were told to do. You know, we we don't have a, a time reference there. How long did they live in the Garden of Eden before Satan came and tempted Eve to eat of the forbidden tree? Well, Maybe it had gone on for some time, but irregardless of that, this was just one thing, right? This was just one thing that she did that she wasn't supposed to do. Is that that big of a deal? Well, yes, of course it is. She sinned, and then Adam sinned. They were expelled from the garden. But in addition to that, we all still deal with the aftermath consequences of sin entering into the world through the first sin uh, that was committed by Eve. Just one sin. Is it that big a deal? What about Nadab and Abihu? We recently studied this in our Wednesday night class. Nadab and Abihu, what did they do wrong? Well, apparently the only thing that they did wrong was they were going to burn incense before the Lord and they got the source of their fire from an unauthorized place. God had specified where the fire for the burning of incense was to come from. They got it from a different place. Is that a big deal really? You suppose that's such a big... That's just one little thing, right? They ended up still burning, sacri- uh, burning incense to the Lord. They just got their fire from a different source. Just one thing. Is one thing a big deal? Well, it was in their case, right? Because God struck them dead. Or what about in the New Testament? Ananias and Sapphira. You remember the episode I have a reference to here? In Acts chapter 5, the new Christians in the city of Jerusalem were selling their properties and donating the proceeds uh, to needy, to other needy Christians in Jerusalem. So there was this man, Ananias, and his wife, Sapphira, and they had a piece of property. They sold it. They didn't have to sell it. 
And they didn't have to contribute the money. They didn't have to contribute all of the money. But when they came to give their gift, they lied about it and said, this is the whole amount that we got for the sale of our property and we're contributing it. Is that a big deal, really? Such a big deal? They, After all, they made a gift. They they voluntarily contributed. They sold their property and contributed money for this. Aren't those commendable things? This one little thing that they just told a little white lie about how much they got, is, is that that bad? Just one sin? Well, of course, again, in this case, God struck them dead for their lie. Yeah, you begin to get the picture, and we could just multiply the examples. One sin is significant. Just one sin does matter. Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, you know that story as well, right? Here's a guy who uh, had once, by false means, dominated the people of the city of Samaria. But when the evangelist Philip came there and preached, he was converted along with so many others in the city. And so everything seemed to be going well. But when Peter and John came to Samaria... And it was obvious that they had the power to impart spiritual gifts on people by the laying on of hands. Simon wanted to buy that power. Now, again, we could talk about what might have motivated him to do that, but is that really all that serious? Just one wrong suggestion? Let me buy the power uh, with money? Well, Peter said, as a result of that, that Simon the sorcerer was in the bond of iniquity, the the gall of bitterness and bond of iniquity. He was, he was not right. His heart was not right with God, Peter said. For just one thing, just even one suggestion of one thing that he might do that was wrong, certainly one sin matters. Probably one of the most remembered stories along this line is the story of David. Remember what we said earlier? The problem with one sin is that Sins often lead to other sins. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we read about King David's sin with Bathsheba. And of course, there was the lust and there was the fornication, but it didn't even stop there. There was the lying and the deceit and the ultimate murder of Uriah the Hittite. One sin leads to another. Every sin weakens our resistance against the next one. Back to the story of Achan at the Battle of Jericho and what happened thereafter. Just one thing. He just took some spoil. Considering all of the all of the loot that was available in Jericho, this was an insignificant amount of stuff that he took. Just one sin. Is it all that bad? Again and again and again, the answer from Scripture is just one sin, all that significant, all that terrible. And the answer is yes. And so, uh, Aiken's story dispels the myth that one sin doesn't hurt anything. I'd also suggest to you that Aiken's sin shows clearly uh, that this idea of my sin is nobody else's business is wrong. This is a myth. This is wrong. My sin uh, is nobody else's business. You know, whether we like it or not, the, the fact of the matter is uh, that what we do does have an effect on other people. And so, uh, to the extent that what we do affects other people, then it becomes their business as well, right? Wouldn't you agree to that? For instance, what would be the case if I decided to start a, a full-scale junkyard in my backyard, hauling in wrecked and abandoned cars and just stacking them up in my backyard? Uh, well, that's what I choose to do. It's none of your business. 
Well, if you're one of my neighbors who's being impacted by the fact that I've started a full-scale junkyard in my backyard, then it is your business, right? Uh, we, what we do affects other people. Well, that's true spiritually as well. And in this story of Achan, we can see that the sin he chose to commit did, in fact, impact lots of other people. Do you remember that when they left then Jericho and sent 3,000 men to Ai, the battle they were supposed to win easily, they didn't win it. They got chased away from Ai. And it says 36 men died there. You think the 36 men who died in the battle of Ai, you think it wasn't any of their business? You think it wasn't the business of all the rest of the Israelites, what Achan had done? It certainly was uh, their business. Notice in Joshua chapter 7, when Joshua inquired of the Lord, why has this happened? Why have we lost this easy battle? Notice how the Lord responded. Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also. And they have put it even among their own stuff. I thought it was interesting that he talks about Israel here. It's not, now it's not just Achan. It's the whole nation of Israel that's got a problem because of what one man, Achan, chose to do. So Israel... They have transgressed. They have taken the accursed thing. They've put it among their stuff. And so the whole nation now is impacted by what this one man did. Does, does what I do impact other people? It's none of their business. No, it is their business, right? Because what I do does have an impact. Um, so the whole nation was rebuked. The whole nation suffered. Especially, you'd have to say that Achan's family suffered. Israel took him took Achan uh, and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses, his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And Israel stoned them with stones and burned them with fire after they'd stoned them with stones. Achan's family certainly was impacted by what he had chosen to do. So this idea that what I do is nobody else's business is not true. right? And how I live and what I choose to do does influence other people. Now, bring that to us today. Again, we're not fighting physical battles with swords and spears. Uh, we're not out there on the battlefront in the physical sense, but we are in God's spiritual army, and we're fighting this spiritual warfare with evil and against Satan. And what I do, or what you do, we have the, we have the strong capacity to affect one another, do we not? In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, Peter mentions... The danger that by what we do, by reason of whom, he says, the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. There, as we even mentioned in our Bible class this morning, in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 2, he's talking about false teachers and their influence over others. But he says that by virtue of what they're doing wrong, they cause the way of truth to be evil spoken of. We can still do that, obviously. As a Christian, if I choose to sin, just one sin... As it becomes known to others, it has the way of, it has a potential to cause the whole church to look bad. And sad to say, we've known of instances like that, haven't we? You know, where one individual Christian in a local congregation chooses to engage in, in a sin that becomes widely known, and therefore, in the community at large, the church is put in a bad light. Sometimes we use the expression, given a black eye. The church is given a black eye 
because of what one person chose to do. We need to remember that. As members of this local body, be fully aware that what you do is the business of others because what you do has the capacity to affect the, the, the standing and reputation of us all in the local community as we go about to, to live for the Lord and try to expand the borders of His kingdom. And so, again, from Achan's sin, I would argue that one of those important spiritual myths that's, that's refuted is this false idea of my sin is nobody else's business. Well, there's a third one. And I think this one is clearly brought out in this story. The third myth dispelled by the case of Achan is no one will ever know. I wonder how many times in the course of history that idea has been expressed. No one will ever know. Uh, I think young people are often tempted by others with this very notion, come on, come on, you can engage in this sort of thing. No one will ever know. I know, thinking back on my days as a young man, I know I was tempted that way. And my guess is most all of us here, old or young, would say, yeah, certainly people will try to use that temptation on us. No one will ever know. Well, uh, that's never the case. People do know. People do notice. You know, the fact of the matter is people are observing you constantly. Uh, and, and people are noticing things about you that you may not even know that they were even looking in your direction. I think I told you a long time ago about an episode we had at our house. Um, and this was a number of years ago. Uh, Cindy wanted some to put some porch furniture on our front porch. We didn't have any. And I told her I didn't want it. I don't want any porch furniture. I don't want porch furniture. I think Sarah was still at home at the time, and Sarah joined into the discussion. Sarah and Cindy were saying, oh, we need some porch furniture on our front porch. And so we finally broke down and got some, you know. But, and so we, the first evening there, we got home with it, and, and we set it out on the front porch, and we arranged it one way, and got back and stood and looked, and and then we went up and rearranged it, you know, and got back and looked. And, and Cindy said, I think the neighbors are going to think that we're, we're nuts. She said, we look crazy out here, you know, doing this. And I said, nobody, nobody is looking. Nobody cares. Nobody is watching. We moved it about one more time. And our neighbor across the street opened her front door and yelled, I like it that way. <laughs> so uh, the, the, the point of it was we were being watched. And people were noticing. And what we do is found out. Uh, and that's just so true spiritually. You think Achan thought that he would ever be found out for what he had done? Notice, uh, he explained himself, or tried to, there in Joshua chapter 7, beginning verse 20. Achan answered, When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them. And took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran into the tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent, and the silver under it. Achan thought, I can take it. I mean, you've got to believe there was a lot of commotion going on when the walls of Jericho fell down, uh, people rushing in and so forth. And, you know, I think I could snatch this up here, and I can take it. No one will see me. And I'll, and, and I'll hide it. I'm going to take it and bury it under my tent. No one will ever find out that I've got this stuff, right? You have to believe that Achan thought 
he could get by with it, no one would ever know. You know, the fact of the matter is we're often tempted that way too, that we can commit a sin and no one will know about the sin that we commit. Now, I'll tell you something. There's, there's a chance. There's a chance that you could keep it from every other living human being. I think there is a potential. It's a small, it's a, it's, it's a, a minute possibility, but I think there is a possibility. Typically, almost anything you do will be known by others. But even if you could hide it completely and thoroughly, God will know. Remember some famous expressions from the Scripture? Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. Be sure your sin will find you out. Your sin will be found. If not by other men, although most of them will be found out by other men. Even if you could hide it from all other men. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You're not going to hide it from God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Your sin will be known. And so this idea, no one will ever know, is just a false idea. We all need to remember, young people, I admonish you to remember that idea. Remember that you can't sin without your sin being known. Probably will be known by lots of other people certainly, definitely, without fail, will be known by God. Do not fall for that old line, no one will ever know. People will know. God certainly will know. So three false ideas, still very popular, very prevalent in the world today. One sin doesn't matter. Yes, it does. It's nobody's business what I do. Yes, it is. Your sin is going to be found out. It's a a simple story in the Scripture, a well-known one. Joshua and the battle of Jericho. But this actually is what happened after Jericho and some of the lessons that we can learn from it. Paul said in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. And there's, I think there's something very important, some several things very important to learn uh, from Achan's sin. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say and hope it encourages us all to work hard, to be the kind of people God wants us to be, living faithfully to Him as we go day by day. As we bring the lesson to a close, we're going to sing a song of invitation. And in singing this song, we'll be encouraging people to to become Christians through obeying that simple gospel plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. But we'll also be encouraging all of us who are already Christians to make sure we're in a right and faithful relationship with God. And if it be the case, that you've fallen away and you're not serving Him faithfully, we urge you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing.